Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3 through 17. Hey, did you all appreciate Pastor Romich being with us last week? That was a blessing. That was a blessing. I'm thankful he was here. Thankful that he's our pastor. Just a reminder, if you have not filled out a note for him, his five-year anniversary is coming up at the beginning of March. We're thankful for five years with Pastor Rummage. Crazy to think. All right, anybody seen the movie Forrest Gump? Anybody seen the movie Forrest Gump? There's lots of famous quotes, lots of things about Forrest Gump. We all love and enjoy, whether that be him sitting on a, a, a bench talking about life's like a box of chocolates, or him scorned for the University of Alabama and he just continues to run out of the stadium. Well, one of my favorite parts of the movie is just kind of like what is going on is when he just starts running across the country. Y'all remember that part of the race or the, the movie and he's just running. And someone just said, hey, why, why are you running? He goes, I just kind of felt like running. I don't know. And he just continues to run and he's got this huge beard and it's like awesome. Then he's just like somewhere in Utah and he goes, I think I'm done. I think I'm going to go home now. And you got all these people just following him like, what in the world's happening? Now, Forrest didn't really have a reason he was running. He just felt like running. So at some point, he got tired. He got like, yeah, I'm done with this. Okay, let's go home now. We all run a race as well. It's a race for Jesus. It's a race, our, it's, and it's a journey called our life. And as we talked about last week with Pastor Rummage, that we must fix our eyes on Jesus. And tonight, we're going to talk about, as we're running this race, some reminders to hold on to because as you run, as anybody who's ran before, no one really enjoys running. It's not something that uh, anyone, re- well, there's some of you crazy people out there, uh, but it's hard. But the journey as a believer is also hard. So that's why we need some reminders and a reminder to keep our eyes on Jesus. So as we uh, are running the race, we must remember our purpose in running this race for Jesus. So let's pray as we open the word of God. God, thank you for your living and active word. God, would you speak to it, to us tonight through your word? And God, would we be encouraged? Would we be challenged? And Lord, we pray that some tonight would trust for you, trust in you for the very first time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 17. So I'm going to go through three reminders tonight as we run our race for Jesus. Number one, Jesus is our example. Jesus is our example. If we can get that up on the screen there, Jesus is our example. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 4. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So verses 3 through 4, Jesus is our example. We look at in the first couple words of verse 3, it says, consider him. Consider him. Who is the him? Is it your buddy right next to you? No, consider him is Jesus. Because in verse 2, it just talked about, verse 1 and 2, it just talked about fixing our eyes on Jesus, the one who endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We're talking about Jesus, so let's consider him. And we've talked about consider a lot through the book of Haggai, through our theme this this summer at Falls Creek, but we need to stop and consider Jesus. As we run the race, we must consider Jesus. We must ponder, who is Jesus and why in the world am I running towards him? Why am I running this race for him? 
But why must we consider him? It says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Now, you think of the hostility that Jesus uh, experienced. And the easiest one to look is to look to the cross. Yes, he was crucified. That was a ton of hostility. The worst hostility that you could face. But think of some of the other hostility that Jesus faced. He was humiliated. He was mocked. He was whipped. I mean, his entire ministry, people were trying to question him. They were trying to say that he was not legitimate. He was not who, they, they were calling him a liar. They were calling him a lunatic. So he was mocked and humiliated. He was beaten. And we know that he was crucified. This is who we are considering. As we run the race, we need to make sure that Jesus is on our mind. But it says in verse 3, it says, So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Because in your struggle against sin, in your struggle and in my struggle, we have not resisted to the point of shedding of blood. When it talks about being weary, growing weary, or being faint-hearted, what it's talking about, this idea of weakness, sickness, exhaustion from running. And to be faint-hearted is to suffer exhaustion. Now, when you live your life for Jesus, when you run the race for Jesus, you will get tired. Because you are standing apart from the crowd. Because your life is to be different. You are to look different than everybody else. And when you look different, y'all know in high school and middle school, you get made fun of. You get ostracized. You get pushed to the side if you're different. You're safe when you look like everybody else. But is that what Jesus calls us to? No. He calls us to stand out, to live set apart. So we are going to grow weary. We are going to be faint-hearted. We are going to be exhausted as we are going to be mocked. But he says, let me remind you, you haven't been mocked. You haven't been humiliated. You haven't had to resist to the point of shedding your blood. Jesus is our example. When we are going through our hardships and our struggles, the, the, the author is not saying, hey, it's nothing. What you're experiencing is nothing compared to Jesus. What he's saying is, we must look to Jesus, how he endured the most crucial pain, the most crucial death, and he was faithful to the end. And he's our example. When we are struggling against something that is not as great as he went against, that we can look to him for strength, for power, and for direction. He is our example when we run the race and when we get tired. It happens. We're going to get tired. We're going to get exhausted because living life for Jesus isn't promised to be easy. He actually says people will hate you for it. So when we're tired, when we're ostracized by our friend groups, when we're ostracized by our family, we must lean in and look to Jesus. Because if you imagine the people in this passage, they were being ostracized by their family. They were being ostracized by the greater community. When you live your life for Jesus, people will push you to the side, and they will make sure that you suffer for it. So we must look to Jesus as our example. You guys ever seen those movies where there's that, uh, there's that point in the movie where the, like the, the hero or the main character is like under a piece of concrete, and the, the bad guy's about to kill them, or like they're up against this huge... Uh, huge force, and they're about to fail, they're about to get defeated, and then there's that moment where it like, kind of goes into this thought bubble, and they start envisioning their life, they start envisioning their family, they start envisioning their dog, and like all these things, and they just 
all of a sudden get all of this strength, all of this power, and they can push off the concrete and they save the day. You guys have seen those scenes in movies, whether it be like Taken where he like visualizes his family and says, I will find you. And he goes and gets people because he's powered by the example of his family. You can't prevail against the weariness of life without setting your eyes on Christ. He must be at the forefront of our mind. In our darkest times when we feel like we are going to be defeated, when we feel like we're going to give in, we must not look to our dog or our mom or our dad. We must look to Jesus who endured the cross. He endured hostility on our behalf. And your eyes are not set on Jesus if you aren't spending time with him. At any point in the the highs and the lows, you will default to what you spend time with. If you spend time with Jesus, he's going to continue to be that example on the forefront of your mind, not on the back part of your mind. When you are ostracized because of your faith, because you aren't going to the party scene, because you don't dress a certain way, or you don't do the things that other people are doing, what are you holding on to? What are you envisioning? What are you looking to as your example to endure? Are your eyes set on Jesus as it says in the first two verses of chapter 12? It will sustain you. Jesus gives us perspective and strength to endure. As we run the race, we must remember Jesus is our example. Reminder number two, discipline is necessary. No one likes that one. Discipline is necessary, verses 5 through 11. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Verse 9. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, and it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I'm trying to teach Briggs and Noble this passage, to memorize this passage. Just kidding. So we're looking into discipline is necessary. So remember, these people are living their life for Jesus They've got people coming in trying to get them to to denounce Jesus. You guys probably feel a little bit that in your schools as well. Verse 5, it talks about, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. The author is encouraging the readers, encouraging the hearers to say, remember your identity. Now, ladies, this is not disregarding you guys are in this, sons and daughters. It says, do not forget your identity. Knowing your identity is a powerful thing. It empowers you. It informs how you live your life. Your identity. So if your identity is wrapped up in your athletic ability or your academic standards, that's how you're going to live your life. That's how you're going to form your life. But if, as a believer, if you are a son or daughter of the one true king, your life will reflect that. And it says, what are the things that come with being a son of God with a daughter of God? The answer is discipline by the Lord. 
Now, discipline is instruction. It also, in the Greek, means rearing of the child. We are in the wonderful years of rearing our children. They are three and one. They're toddlers. They're a good time, but they need some discipline. So this discipline, there's instruction with it. It's informative. It's moving you towards something, not moving you away towards something. So our identity informs how we respond to discipline. It says, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord or grow weary or faint-hearted when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. His discipline for us comes out of his love for us. It's a mark that we are his when we are disciplined by the Lord. He's treating you as sons. Now, you might be asking, okay, what does discipline mean? Like, what, am I getting grounded by God? Like, because you guys, sometimes your discipline is, you know, getting your phone taken away or being grounded, whatever it is. What does God's discipline of us look like? Here's a $20 word. It's called sanctification. It's the process of becoming more like Jesus where we become less like us and more like Jesus. We push more of us down and we try to reach for more of Jesus. That we don't get to live the life that we think we ought to in our flesh because that is fleshly. It's not holy. But what else is it? It's conviction. You guys ever, raise your hand if you've ever been convicted of your sin before. Like, man, that was bad. I shouldn't have done that, right? That happens to me all the time. That's the Lord discipline. He's showing you, he's instructing you the way in which you ought not to go. And holiness is the way that is opposite of our sin, opposite of our flesh. What father doesn't discipline his son? Let me ask you this question. Noble and Briggs, my two boys, what is the most loving thing I can do for them? Is it to allow Noble and Briggs to do whatever they want to do? Is it for them, for like Noble just comes over and Briggs is just, they're just so innocently playing with some blocks and Noble just comes over here and looks at him and just like kicks the blocks in his face? Like in that moment, be like, all right, Noble, you do you, man. Hey, you, you put Briggs in his place. Or if Noble, like, is he, you know, if someone says hello, a teacher says hello, and he just looks at him and, and growls at them and walks away, like, do I allow him just to kind of do whatever he wants to do? No. You would think a loving father would discipline his children in that moment, would not let him just to do whatever he wants. There's, there's a, a wave of parenting that millennials that we are struggling with is that a lot of people like to gentle parent. They call it gentle parenting, where you just allow your kids to do whatever. They have big feelings. Hey, their emotions, their feelings are the king of everything. Whatever they feel, just let them do. Y'all, do you think that's a good idea for toddlers just to do whatever they want to do? No, that's a terrible idea. You guys have probably babysat children before where you're like, that is a wild child. If, I, if they were my kid, I would discipline them in that moment. The only way he's going to learn is through discipline. The only way we are going to learn is through discipline. But here's the problem with us, myself included. We want to run our life. We want to do whatever we want to do. We, we want to do whatever we feel is right in the moment. Whatever our flesh says, we say yes. At the core, that's what we want to do. But let me tell you this, if you continue to advocate for you to run your own life, you will not prosper. You will not grow, and you will be like a toddler with no discipline, selfish and out of control, headed towards a path of destruction. When we advocate that we run our own life, we don't need discipline by the Lord. We can do our own thing. 
we will not prosper and be on a path of destruction like a toddler that's selfish and out of control. That we lean into discipline. We lean into accountability because we know it's going to make us more like Jesus and less like us. And that's a good thing. That is a good thing. And that's a reminder for us as we run the race is that we don't need more of us, but we need more of Jesus. Maturing in your faith is learning it's not about you. Maturing in your faith is learning that there is a bigger picture and you don't have the camera in your hand. But God does. Maturing in your faith is learning that you need to be refined, sanctified, and have a daily need for the gospel to transform your life. That's what maturing in your faith looks like. Verse 8. If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. What it's saying here is if the Lord is not disciplining you, if you don't feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, then we might need to have a conversation if you know him. Because you might just be the ruler and Lord of your own life, and Jesus has no place on your throne of your heart. Verse 9, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of the spirits and live? The author is reminding the people that they have earthly fathers, and when they were growing up, they were disciplined, and they respected their fathers. Now, this can be a touchy subject. Not everybody in this room has a father that they say, man, I just love them so much. I've loved how they've treated me. Some of you guys have been through some really tough situations. And that can taint your view of God as Father. And I understand that. But let me remind you two things, or three things about uh, earthly fathers. Two things. They father out of the flesh. They aren't perfect. Your dad's not perfect. Noble and Briggs, one day we'll find out I am far from perfect. And I don't discipline them the right way every single time. I don't love them the right way every single time. Our earthly fathers are not perfect. They father out of the flesh. Number two, for the most part, they try as best as they can. They're going to screw up sometimes. They're going to mess up. Give them the benefit of the doubt. But if our earthly fathers are trying to do this, how much more, how much greater is our good father in heaven who is perfect? Discipline is for our good, as it says in verse 10, for they disciplined us for a short time as it has seemed best to them, but he disciplines us <coughs> for our good that we may share his holiness. Discipline is, our good, is for our good because it's a reminder of our flesh and brokenness. And we need God. It reminds us that we are broken. We screw up. We mess up. We don't always do things right. It reminds us of how good God is, that he forgives us. When we mess up. And it reminds us that we need to be more like Jesus and less like ourselves. So as we are running this race, we're not going to do it perfect. There's no expectation of doing it perfect because we're on this side of eternity. But when the Lord disciplines you, when, when you read God's word and you're like, good night, I'm out of sync. I am out of whack. Or if the spirit convicts you through a message by Pastor Rummage or myself or in your connect groups or in your deep groups. Like, take that as a good thing that you have a chance to become more like Jesus and repent of your sin. As we run the race and we grow weary and we mess up, remember, we, the goal is to be more like Jesus and not be more like ourselves. Verse 11, 
For, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. In any moment, discipline is painful. Right? When you mess up at practice and the coach says, on the line, good night, that's painful. When you don't do good and you don't prepare for a test and you get that D back or that F, that is painful. But in those moments, you learn lessons. It yields a fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it, that you will learn from your mistakes. And as you are running the race, always remember, you need to learn from your mistakes. But think of a farmer uh, analogy where hard work, planting, I grew up cornfields all around me in the state of Illinois. Farming is hard work. And they plant the seed, and it's hard work planting that seed. But they know in due time, it's going to yield a crop. It's going to yield corn. It's going to yield beans. It's going to yield wheat. The hard discipline, the hard work, one day will yield a fruit. And as we are going through discipline, as we are running this race and we continue to mess up, which is normal, we are looking to Jesus that one day as we continue to trust in Him, we are going to yield a fruit of righteousness and maturity and faith through the fruits of the Spirit. As we endure and run this race of living after Jesus, we will yield the fruit of the Spirit and the opportunity to become more like Christ. And the last reminder for us as we run the race for Jesus is to care for your community. To care for your community. One one of the things I love, there's really no state pride in Illinois. People in southern Illinois really don't like being in Illinois. One thing I love about Oklahoma is that Oklahoma people love Oklahoma. Now, it's not like this Texas obnoxious pride. Like, we all know, like, this Texas obnoxious pride. But there's, like, this humble, just like, I love my state. I love my people of Oklahoma. Y'all probably felt, when I moved here in 2016, that's what I felt. I felt a community that takes care of one another. Last week, I took the student staff, and we went down to the Oklahoma National Museum with the Bombing Museum. And if that doesn't tell you a community that takes care of itself, I don't know what does. When Oklahoma City was bombed and the community came together and and, and President Clinton said, if you want to find good people that take care of each other, go to Oklahoma. If you've lost hope that there are people that are good in this world, go to Oklahoma. When I think of a community that cares for itself, one another, I think of Oklahoma. And we, as we run the race for Jesus, we need to care for our community as well. We need to care for the people in this room. I want everyone to look, look to the side of each other. Look to the person to your left and to your right. I want you to look across the aisle. Your command as believers as you run this race is to care for one another in this room, in the middle school room, in the, in the fellowship hall. This is the community that we want to care for. We want to be a safe place. Verse 12 of chapter 12 says, Therefore... Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. It says lift your drooping hands and strengthen your knees and make straight paths for your seat, your, your feet. As believers, we need to help one another because Jesus is our example. So we're going to endure together. We're going to run this race together. Hey, we're going to all be made like Jesus together. We're all going to be disciplined and learn from our mistakes together. Therefore, we're doing this together, so let's help one another. 
So if someone is struggling with some sin, you may have a friend in this room tonight that is steep in some sin and you know they're struggling trying to get out of it. Help a brother out. Pray for them. Go to them. Say, I love you. I want to help you. It says, lift your drooping head, your drooping hands. Strengthen your knees. Make straight your path for your feet. When you care for your community in the name of Jesus, you're strengthening and straightening y'all's path to Jesus. Verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for peace with everyone. Can you say that you're a person that strives for peace? Or are you a person that sows strife? Do you strive for peace or do you sow strife? Are you a person that drama just finds itself? Are you that person that says, I'm out of that drama. Get that, get that junk away from me. Are you striving for the peace that surpasses all understanding which Jesus gives to us? Are you trying to sow peace in this community? Are you looking to gain yourself some followers, to gain yourself some footing, and sowing strife? As believers, we are to strive for peace. I mean, think of a journey. Think of a long run. Do you want that to be drama-filled, or do you want that thing to be peaceful? You all don't go for a run in the mountains uh, when you're on vacation, and you're, you're listening, you're just like, I'm going to listen to, like, death metal, like the most, like, just anxious thing in the world. You're like, yeah, you're not going to do that. You're going to, like, put on some some chill music, and you're just going to take in the scenery. Like, you, we want a peaceful life. We live a peaceful life. We strive for it so our community is peaceful for us. We want to strive for holiness. We want to strive as we run the race for Jesus that we live set apart from this world, set apart from this culture. A community in peace is a community of joy. People find joy in a community that's peaceful. They don't find joy in one that is full of drama. People want to be a part of a community in peace because it's a community of joy. Verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace, obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. By it, many become defiled. See it to that no one fails to obtain the grace. Make sure that your community endures. If you see a brother or sister flailing, needing help, even though they're not asking you for help, come up alongside of them. Put your arm around them. Lift their drooping hands. Strengthen their weakened knees with words of encouragement, with prayer. If you've got a, a brother or a sister that is in need, have you prayed with them? Have you prayed for them and have you prayed with them? Have you spoke encouragement to them? Because I promise you, even when you are in your lowest times, you need a brother or a sister to pick you up, to encourage you. That's how you care for your community. So uh, again, as you think about, as we have looked around, are you encouraging one another? Are you helping one another out? Do you see anyone that is hurting right now in your life? What are you doing to care for them, to help them endure despite maybe their sin struggle or discouragement? That we are always caring, encouraging, and pointing people to Jesus and away from their sin. Pointing them to Jesus. Here's a tip. As you think of, we want to build a community of people that want to run after Jesus with all that they have, with everything, right? If we want that to be this community, here's some tips. 
You can't care for the community if you aren't committed to the mission and to the community. You can't care for it if you're not committed to it. You can't care for it if you don't show up. You can't care for it if you are not a part of it. Jesus is our ultimate strength. He is the one that makes our path straight through his word. So as you care for one another, point them to the word of God. You can't well can't care well for a community if you don't show up. There's an importance of showing up for one another here in this room and here out there. As I conclude, and as the band comes up, the race we run is a long one. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. So the reminders is that Jesus is your example. Jesus is your example. He's the one that you fix your eyes on. He is the one that you are enthralled with, that you look to, that you run to. Discipline is necessary. At the the beginning of the race and the end of the race, you should look drastically different because of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. So as correction and conviction from God's word and his people come, listen to it. Get refined by the Lord. Get changed by the word of God so there's more of Jesus and less of you. And lastly, care for this community well. I want people to want to be here because we run towards Jesus together and we love one another while we do it. So as I close and as I pray, my question to you is for believers in the room, people who have surrendered their life to Jesus, are your eyes fixed on Jesus? Are your eyes fixed on Jesus? Are you open to the discipline of the Lord? Are you running away from the discipline of the Lord and acting like a toddler trying to run their own life? Number three, are you caring for this community? As we sing and praise God, if you need to get something right with someone in the room, I encourage you to do that. As we sing, if you got somebody in this room that you know that is struggling with something, go and encourage them with a word of prayer, with a word from Scripture. Go encourage them. Bring them. If there's someone in this room that you know needs some encouragement, go and love on them. And if you're a non-believer in this room tonight, you don't, you haven't found peace, you're continuing to look for something that will satisfy you, is only Jesus who can satisfy you. It talks about in verse 16 and 17, a, a guy named Esau who sold his birthright for a bowl of soup, a bowl of stew. For a momentary satisfaction, he traded something that was of much more value. And there's many of us in this room tonight, and those that don't know Jesus, that we're chasing after the momentary satisfaction when the only thing that will satisfy us is eternity with Jesus. Because we are all sinners separated from God because of our sin and on a one-way ticket to hell. But it's only through the death and resurrection of Jesus that we can be made right with Him. So if you need to make a decision for Jesus tonight, come and tell me or one of our sponsors. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your living and active word. We pray that tonight as we sing your praises, as we look to you as the perfecter of our faith, as we look to you as the person we run to, God, would you convict us of where we aren't trusting you? Would you convict us of where we are trying to live our own life? God, I, I pray you give them a burden of caring for the people in this room. And Lord, the overflow of that would be caring for the people in their schools, in their friend groups, in their families. And God, for those that don't know you tonight, I pray that they would 
surrender to you and trust in your son Jesus. God, would we come and approach you with our request for you to move in a way that you can only move. In Jesus' name we pray.